Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. Today, we wrap up the discipleship series. Um, very exciting. I mean, we're, we're basically there, guys. Just teasing. All right, we are going to wrap it up with Jesus's new commandment. So listen now for a word from God from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So today we come to our last worship service of our discipleship series. We've covered a lot of ground, defining what discipleship means, being a lifelong learner. We've explored who Jesus is, who Jesus isn't, um, what Jesus asks of his followers, stretching from anything from rejection to rest. And on this, our final week, we're going to take a look at some of Jesus's last words to his disciples before he is taken away to his trial and then his execution. So in the Gospel of John, the author carefully and uniquely from the other three Gospels writes down the lengthy final words of Jesus before he's arrested and taken away. And these four chapters in the book of John offer encouragement and metaphors that will help these scared but dedicated disciples to pick up the pieces after Jesus is gone. And in a way, the gospel writer of John allows us to see what Jesus hopes will be his own legacy. Now, this week in Ormwood Park, our neighbors um, and ourselves, we lost a man who left a legacy of courage that almost none of us knew about, Palmer Singleton. So the gentleman who died lived about a block away from us, and everyone knew him as the man with the dogs, the husky dogs. He was friendly, he was open to conversation, and he was dedicated to his dogs, who walked around his loop and sometimes down on our street. His front yard was taken up with kennels for those pooches, for their outdoor amusement, and maybe some dogs he would foster along the way. We'd heard last fall that he'd been given a terminal cancer diagnosis, but not much beyond that. And I mentioned to Chris just last week that I hadn't seen him walking the dogs and that his car was gone. Telltale signs that his cancer had advanced and he was probably under care somewhere. And then a stunning obituary popped up in the AJC this week. And it took many of us neighbors by surprise. Palmer Singleton, lover of dogs and pipes, died after dedicating his life to the Southern Center for Human Rights. He had spent the majority of his professional career as a lawyer who focused on defending people on death row. The writer of the obituary, Ben Smith, said of him, Singleton spent the bulk of his legal career at the Southern Center, where he handled hundreds of cases most of them uphill battles against death penalty convictions. Most of them he lost, but he never gave up in spite of the despair that comes with the job. His son Sam said that he was really bothered when he saw other people suffering, and when he felt like he could do something about it, he had to. 
Singleton's legacy was one of caring for the prisoner and defending those who others had abandoned to a system bent on killing them. His job was anything but easy, and even before he took what seemed an impossible job, he had already had some other experiences with the law. Singleton had refused to register for the draft in his younger years, as he did not want to be complicit in the Vietnam War. He served 14 months in prison. He's quoted saying, Through Gandhian civil disobedience, by openly breaking the law and accepting the punishment, we raise the issues challenging the legitimacy of the forces that determine our behavior. And the thing is, before he died, almost none of the neighbors knew his legacy. Almost all of us were surprised. Perhaps he wanted it that way. Perhaps he was tired of having to defend himself or his clients or his relationship with the law. Perhaps he didn't think it was important. Perhaps it was just awkward. Either way, I am grateful to learn about his legacy and to encourage others to pay attention to it even now, after his death. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, was not so shy about the legacy he wanted to leave. He spent three years equipping and training and teaching and loving a collection of disciples who would carry on what Jesus was doing, who would continue to build the kingdom of God here among us. By our passage that we read today, it was go time. Jesus knew he was not going to be around much longer. The Jewish authorities were threatened by him, and they felt backed into a corner ready to lash out. The Roman government was more and more convinced Jesus was another one of these rebels about to lead an uprising against them. They were common in the area where Jesus was from. Jesus knew the time had come. He had to say the most important things to his disciples. He had to secure his legacy. And there was a lot in the four chapters where Jesus offers his final thoughts and prayers for his disciples. Scholars call it his farewell discourse. There is the promise of the Spirit. There's the understanding that disciples are branches on a very secure vine. And there's the warning that the world might reject them just as they were about to reject Jesus. But at the start of all of this, and then repeated again in chapter 15, there is a familiar overarching command. Jesus says he's offering one new commandment that will guide everything. And just like he says elsewhere, it's the type of commandment that summarizes all the other commands Jesus or God asks of us. But this time, Jesus offers it as his specific legacy to his own disciples at a very crucial time. Jesus wants disciples of Christ to be known for how they love each other. There are a lot of other legacies sitting at Jesus' feet that he could choose from. We've talked about them in this sermon series. He could leave a legacy of political insurrection. He could be that type of Messiah who gloriously takes up arms against Rome. The oppressed Hebrew people are ready for that. All he would have to do is pick up a weapon and he would have a following. He could also infiltrate the Jewish religious structures, becoming a famous teacher or a glorified prophet. He could climb the ranks if he just adjusted his message a bit to comfort those in power. It will most likely be financially lucrative for him to do as well because the religious elite are well cared for. But he has so many legacies at his disposal. What does he choose? What we see today in our two verses is the thesis statement of Jesus' legacy that he chooses the night before his death. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, 
you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love. That's the legacy. That's the branding. That is the impetus and that is the litmus. Love. If it were Monday Thursday in the middle of Holy Week, we would explore a bit more about the context of this new commandment. Um, we'd be up for a powerful example of it. Because before Jesus says this new commandment, he gives the disciples a tangible example of what this love would look like, at least in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we don't actually get the Last Supper. There's no communion meal like in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Instead, the example that Jesus sets is what? Feet washing. The washing of feet. As his disciples filter into the room where they will participate in the Passover festivities, Jesus removes his robe and wraps a towel around his waist. He pours water into a basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet, using the towel around his waist to dry them off. This is an act of humility for any person, especially a man at that time. It was usually reserved as a gesture of hospitality and was a task given to slaves or women. But if a person of higher status, like a rabbi, washed the feet of his disciples, it was a gesture of supreme love and devotion. And it was this example that undergirds Jesus's legacy of love. This is the example he offers as a precursor to his new commandment of love. Now, Peter in the story doesn't get it. He pushes back, saying he should be the one to wash Jesus's feet. He does not understand the reversal of roles, the reversal of power, the redefining of Messiah, and this legacy of this type of love. So Jesus insists. This is his legacy. Love. Surprising, humble, caring, hospitable, cleansing love. I imagine that this is actually a pretty surprising farewell address for the disciples. This might very well be a new commandment that they did not see coming, at least not that night. Because I actually think these disciples are like the people in Ukraine right now. They were probably hunkering down, hiding out, feeling the imminent loss of their life or the life they had come to know. The stress in Jerusalem in that room for these disciples and for Jesus was as palpable as the anxiety in Kiev. They were being targeted. They were in the capital that held both their political and their religious enemies. What type of action would Jesus choose? What were his marching orders? A farewell address promising safety would have been welcome. A farewell address promising victim victory would have been celebrated. But that's not Jesus's legacy. On the night of his own death and to a group of weary disciples who felt a change at hand, Jesus chooses to focus on love. This was not a legacy of the status quo. This love would not provide a shield against the Roman Empire. It would not offer an entry ticket back into their own communities and families. In fact, it sometimes got them quite the opposite. But love was Jesus' upside-down and role-reversing offer to his disciples. It was the one thing he could offer as a guide to them that would outlast and offset any other power they came up against in Jerusalem and beyond, because it was a power that came directly from God and touched the very soles of their feet, literally and metaphorically, love. 
So as we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and as we wrap our minds and hearts around the do's and the don'ts of discipleship, the one thing, the new command, the farewell legacy that will guide us home every time is the same as it was in that earliest relationship with God back in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or, as Jesus said it when he was at that fragile turning of the tides in his own ministry and in his own life, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen.